Good morning, everyone. I am so grateful for this opportunity uh, to speak to you today. It's really great um, to see all of you here each week. It's great to see all of you who are tuning in uh, online and watching the live stream each week. We're grateful that you've joined us for worship, however that you've uh, chose to join us. And so we're honored um, that, that we're able to continue to worship together in different ways, in creative ways. Man, we are we're getting close to being about half a year into this thing, depending on when you want to say it started. Uh, March 11th is the day I remember vividly, you know, sitting in meetings where we're trying to plan a multi-step phase-in approach and everything just crashes one night and we're immediately going to our final phase of not being here at all. But it's lasted a while. We're, we're a ways into this. Our emotions have been all over the place, haven't they? Ups and downs. We've, we've seen case numbers go up. We've seen stock market and especially oil prices crash, go into negative territory. That's a frightening thing to watch happen. We've been in vigorous debates over masks and when to wear them and who should wear them. We've all wondered about our own health. And we've wondered about the health and safety of our loved ones. We've worried about the well-being of our neighbors. We've just had a variety of responses these past five or six months, haven't we? Have you felt like your emotions have just been all over the place? They're not very consistent, are they? And I think we're all entitled to feel some different things during all this, and it's okay. But I've noticed that there are sort of two extremes that, that, that have happened and that I've found myself in a few times, but that I'm trying to avoid. And at one extreme is just utter despair. Worried that nothing will ever get better, that we're in this forever. I don't know if you read any of those articles that say things like, we will never do X again, or this will never be the same. We're never going to shake hands again. We're never going to eat in a restaurant the same way again. Travel will never be the same. Listen, I know some of that might be true, but it's not helpful for me to read that right now, is it? Like, I'm not trying to, to, to ignore reality, but it doesn't change anything for me right now if something's going to be different two years from now, and it's just not helpful for me to read that. I want to know that at some point I'm going to sit in a restaurant with some family and friends and enjoy a meal and not worry about my surroundings. Maybe that's naive, but I'm holding on to that hope. Like, I can only think about two or three weeks out at a time. Six months, two years, not helpful, especially when the predictions are dire. I don't have time to envision worst-case scenarios that are not happening anytime soon. So that's one end, just despair. The other end is this sort of, I don't know, chipper, positive, kind of naive view of the pandemic and of quarantine. And these were the people who were saying, hey, you know, quarantine's a great time to pick up a new hobby. Read those books you always wanted to read. Start a health regimen. There were days in, in April that I ate like a third of a bag of those fun-sized candy bars. <laughs> and my sweet wife would put in pickup orders and she would ask me every few days, hey, do you need anything? And I would say, oh, I, need, I need to refresh the snack supplies. I need another bag of snack mix and some more candy. And she would say, well, didn't, didn't I just order those for you? Yes, you did. And it's time for some more. 
Uh, I, the, the problem with those views is like we were all and still are operating out of, of stress and anxiety and trauma. So there might have been some times when I had a little more time, but I didn't have the mental energy to do anything new like that. It, we, it's been stressful. So this whole, you know, life is rosy and quarantine is a blessing. Not helpful. Not helpful to me. And I suspect maybe not helpful to you. But we do need hope. We do need hope. That's what I want to talk about today. It's easy to despair. So we want to look forward to something. So what I want to do today for a few minutes is to maybe take us on the road to hope. We don't want to go straight there. There are a few stops along the way. But we want to be in a place of hope most of the time when we can. Okay? So I want to take us on a road to hope. And I want to do that by way of Jesus last week. Jesus last week, he knows what's coming. But his disciples really still don't. And so there are some grim things on the horizon. A brutal execution. The scattering of Jesus' followers. So in his last week, Jesus is laser-focused on what's ahead. His disciples are struggling. And so there are a few distinct frames of mind I think we can look at in Jesus' last week that might take us on our own road to hope. So first, let's start with what we are pretty sure is the Thursday night before Jesus' crucifixion. So Jesus and his, his apostles, they share the bread and wine. They have a meal together. Jesus uh, hints and even announces, basically, that Judas is going to betray him. And then after dinner, they sing a hymn, and they go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus recently was teaching there about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and some other things about what is to come. So he and his disciples go to the Mount of Olives, and they have an after-dinner discussion. And we pick up that discussion in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31. And here's what Jesus tells them. This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rose, you will disown three times. So here we have this story. Peter refuses to believe reality. Jesus tells him what's going to happen. Peter won't believe it. In Peter's mind, that won't happen, or at least it won't happen to me. Peter is in denial of reality. Jesus is telling the truth about the hard times ahead. Peter won't face reality. So our first step um, might be to face reality. We'll talk a little bit later about what we might do with that. But then the story continues. Now we're at Gethsemane, at the base of the mountain. And in verse 36, Jesus went with his disciples to Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So in this part of the story, Jesus models open grief. We might expect a strong, confident Jesus, but he admits that he's overwhelmed, and he shows us that side of him. Jesus faced reality when Peter didn't. Now, Jesus admits grief when we expect him not to. So the second step in this week-long journey, actually it's just the same night, is grief. So we've got reality, and then we have grief. Let's talk about the third step in Jesus last week. So the, the reality and grief culminate in a horrible execution. People are full of despair, but it's not the end of the story. In chapter 28, there's an empty tomb. And we find an angel comforting the two women who have come to prepare Jesus' body. And we get a proclamation of the resurrection. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, the angel says to the women, Go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And now I have told you. So now we get to hope. They faced reality. They've admitted grief. Now there's hope. And that hope happens because they've been honest about where things have been and honest about how they've been affected. Jesus has been honest about what's going to happen and honest about his grief. And now there's hope. The story has not ended with despair. It has ended with hope. We see these steps all over Scripture. We see them when we read the prophets. The prophets who stand up and proclaim the reality of Israel's very tough situation. They have turned away from God. They've turned to idols. They are full of injustice. Their situation is grim. And they call Israel to lament that, to express grief over their idolatry, over their wickedness, to name what has happened and to grieve it. But then the prophets give a note of hope that ultimately God will not abandon his people, but that he will come again to rescue them and to restore them. We saw that when we looked at Isaiah this past uh, fall and spring. And many of you noted how the first 39 chapters of Isaiah were mostly reality and grief. And we waited through the winter and we picked back up in the spring and we saw the hope where Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people. That God's judgment is not the final word, but in fact, there is hope. We also see it all throughout the Psalms, the lament Psalms, where different psalmists Name the reality of their situation. Their enemies are upon them. They are near death. Things are difficult. And they express their grief to God. Where are you? Why aren't you doing something about this? But then almost every lament psalm ends on hope. Ends on a note of confident trust that God is able to help. That God is not abandoning this writer Finally, that God 
is at work to rescue. And we see that pattern in so many other places. I suspect that during this pandemic, you have found yourself in all three of those categories at different times. And we know it's not some linear progression where you, you do one and you get past it and then you move to the next one and you sit there for a while. And then finally, it's, it's just like this, right? We're all over the place, day to day. That's healthy and that's normal. But I think if we, think, if we consider three steps, it might give us a framework for the kinds of feelings that can be healthy on the road to hope. So, some of us need to face reality. There are now 150,000 deaths from the pandemic in the United States, not to mention our friends and neighbors all over the world. It's more uh, than all the war deaths since the Korean War combined. It's more deaths than in World War I. Our economy is recovering in fits and starts. We're all stressed, and any illusion we had of certainty and control has pretty much been shattered, hasn't it? And so sometimes we find ourselves thinking like Peter, hey, this isn't happening, or if it's happening, it's not happening to me. I'll be unaffected. I can just kind of pretend nothing's happening and wake up and this will be over. Or we turn to people like Hananiah in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 28. Jeremiah and other prophets have been proclaiming to God's people a long period of judgment, a long period of difficulty. They have given hope, but it's going to be a while, right? And so Hananiah essentially calls a media availability in front of the temple, on the steps of the temple, and he gathers the priests and prophets in an audience, and he says, hey, this is all just fake. Uh, it's just going to be two years it's no big deal. Don't change anything. Hey, I'm a prophet too. I've got prophet credentials, right? This is, don't worry about this. And he said that because people were desperate to hear that. They wanted to hear that this was no big deal. And yet, Hananiah was proven to be false. In the end, that kind of reality denial is proven wrong. And I know that's why a lot of conspiracy theories tend to flourish. Sometimes it's by people with really bad intent, I know. But often it is received by people who don't have bad intent. They're just desperate to find some other answer because we believe, surely this isn't happening. Surely we can fix this quickly. How on earth can we not have a solution yesterday? And yet we're forced to admit reality that none of those things are true and that this is going to take a while. So some of us need to admit reality that we can't fix this quickly. There's no way to have hope for a better future if we can't name the difficult reality that we're in. The second stage would be grief. We need to be honest with ourselves, with God when we're praying, with our friends and family when we're talking. We need to be honest about the losses we are experiencing lost lives, lost income, lost moments, graduations, weddings, funerals, 
relationships, certainty, peace and calm, routines, friends, school, sanity. I know a lot of you parents right now are really concerned. You're grieving the normalcy for your lives, for your kids' lives. You don't know what this next year will hold, and you are being forced to make some very, very difficult decisions. Educators are in the same boat. They want to serve these kids. They're being forced to make some very, very difficult decisions. And there's a lot of grief involved in those difficult decisions over what we've lost. And we got to be honest about that. This is hard. And we can't pretend like this isn't affecting us. If the psalmists and if Jesus can express grief openly, then we can be honest with God and we can be honest with others about our grief. So some of us need to face reality. Some of us need to allow grief. Finally, some of us need to embrace hope. Those first two stages are important, but we sure don't want to get stuck there, do we? We don't want to get stuck just thinking about how bad it is. We want to embrace some form of hope that is informed by solid background. So maybe we need to use our imaginations to envision what might be ahead. I want you to imagine with me for a minute as we close. Imagine a scenario... This may be a little bit rosy, but it's not out of the question, and it's the one I'm hanging on to. It is spring or summer of 2021. There is at least one safe, effective, endorsed vaccine that is being distributed. Our kids are back in school or are getting ready to go back to school to be with their friends Teachers and staff and educators feel safe and protected. Businesses are thriving. We can go out again without having to overthink every step. Divisions in our country are beginning to heal. In fact, because of how the church has acted during the pandemic, people are turning to Jesus. Christians are modeling good informed, gracious public discourse, relying on truth and facts to lead the way. We are praying for our leaders. We appreciate each other more than ever. Our faith is strong in spite of a year that has felt like a giant dumpster fire. We're not just okay. We're thriving. Please don't lose hope in this kind of future, folks. Don't lose hope in it. There is great things ahead. But our hope as Christians is not just in a vaccine. It's not just in the return to a life we enjoy. It's not just in our own ability to rise to the challenge. If we take this back to the story in Matthew, our hope ultimately rest in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't lose hope. Of all people, Christians should model good, deep hope for the world. 
It's not a naive, baseless hope. We didn't get straight to hope. We got to hope first by admitting our reality and second about allowing ourselves some honest grief. But in the end, we're finding hope. And that hope is what is going to get us through the rest of this pandemic and beyond. I want you to know that your church leaders continue to be here to serve you. If there are things that we can do for you, as Andy said, if there are some needs you have that we can meet, I hope that you'll let us know. If there are times you need to be prayed with, I hope you'll let us know. When this service is over, there are ministers and elders around. Please come find one of us and let us know how things are going for you and how we can serve you. In just a minute, we're going to sing another song. So I just want to encourage you today. Admit your reality. Be honest about your grief. But in the end, hang on to that hope that is ultimately in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.